we do feel really lucky that we had a job that was meaningful to go to. And this is something that a lot of people who don't work in healthcare express to me is like, you know, there's a lot of things that suck about your job right now, but that's really cool that you get to go and do something. This is Gary Canner. Gary is 30 years old and he's finishing his third year as an emergency medicine resident at a Detroit hospital. I would argue to some extent we've always felt that way about our job, but doing it and being on quote unquote the front lines was exciting. While his job may be exciting and meaningful, this is not a story about that. This is a story about the uncertainty within his field. A story about navigating what we know and what we think we know, about what we don't know and what it takes to figure it out. Despite all of the known unknowns, Gary lived through it all. This is We Lived It. So I think it was the first week in March, and I had been on vacation, and I'd just come back to work. In the second week in March, on March 10th, the first two cases in Michigan were reported. And we saw these x-rays that are very characteristic, meaning that I had seen pictures of this before I ever saw one in my own hospital, so that by the time that I saw one in my own hospital, I was like, oh, wow, this is the coronavirus. This is that disease that started in China, and then it looked really bad in other places, and now it's here. We now know from state data the first reported symptoms of COVID-19 go back as early as March 1st. And by the 10th, there were over 500 confirmed cases of the virus. Yeah, it really scared me. It scared a lot of us. Medical officials didn't know how far the virus had spread at the time. The only way to know was to test as many people as possible. But testing supplies were low. Not only that, but hospitals only had a certain number of beds to hold infected patients. People were urged to, instead of going to the emergency department because we were worried about a wave of people, we actually set up a whole screening system where residents outside would do an exam on you through your car window. Tests were reserved for those who needed it most, like hospital workers or essential workers whose jobs required them to leave their homes. The general population was only tested if they had severe symptoms. So a lot of it was, you know, I'm worried I might have this thing and I was hoping to get a test and it would be kind of like... Well, it's possible you have this thing, I don't know, but based on your age, risk factors, your vital signs right now, your clinical appearance, our advice is that you go home and do this. Or they say, you don't look so good, go to the ER. In the month after the first cases were reported, hospitals had to quickly distribute personal protective equipment, or PPE. Things like masks, gloves, and gowns. Gary says his hospital did a good job keeping PPE in stock, but that wasn't the case everywhere. And even though Gary's hospital was prepared with proper equipment, he says there were these new procedures being implemented. It was kind of a wild ride because every single day the recommendations were changing. It was suddenly the way that you do everything every day and have done for years, suddenly because this person may or may not have this disease and we had no idea what things qualified as do or don't have that disease, we had to do all these extra precautions. But as one of my friends described it, changing our emergency department policies to do that were like building an airplane while you're flying in it was how he described it. And they were flying a plane with no destination. Gary says hospitals took additional precautions, steps that made a job that was once familiar to him foreign. 
you know, you have to wear two sets of gloves and put on this gown and wipe down the gown and take off the gloves. We have to put hand sanitizer on your gloves before you wipe off the gown. And then, well, what do you do with this gown? And do you hang it up? And do you hang it up facing the wall? Do you hang it up facing yourself? And, oh, we don't have enough hooks. And so all these things that we were learning very quickly. Whenever we have an unstable patient, someone who's really very sick looking and could get a lot sicker much faster without immediate care, those patients we typically take to the resuscitation area, which is an area designed with all the equipment and everything you need to do that. Very early on, instead of running these cases there, we would put them in what are called negative pressure rooms, meaning a room that is designed to continuously suck air into that room so that viruses don't leave the room. So the, suddenly we're doing it in a different kind of room, and there were a lot of very quick growing problems that came with that. For one, like for one example, we would shut the door while we were in there. So outside that door, there would be a nurse and there would be a pharmacist to get us things that we needed. And they had a walkie-talkie and we'd have a walkie-talkie. But at first it's, oh, are we on the right channel? Are we on the wrong channel? And we're knocking on the door and we ended up just shouting at each other. And everything got done. And I don't think particular harm came of it, but... It was really crazy to quickly relearn how to do something that's already really hard. But as it turns out, the new procedures weren't enough to protect Gary. After working a week, Gary started to get a fever. And I talked to my program director and she said, well, let's be on the safe side. Why don't you stay out of work the rest of this week? He says the day after he was sent home, his symptoms went away and he felt fine. What he believed was the coronavirus was just a fever. See, coronavirus symptoms are similar to seasonal flu symptoms. You may think you have COVID-19 and just have a cough or the flu. Alternatively, you could believe you just have a cough or the flu, but actually have the coronavirus. And that's why medical professionals advised anyone who showed symptoms to stay home. So that's exactly where Gary was. During a major pandemic, Gary, a frontline worker, was stuck at home. And during that week, I was like obsessively reading everything I could read. I was reading all these newspaper articles. I was reading all these different statistics and looking at different projections. And that's when I became very worried. I remember telling my parents they really need to stay home. I remember being worried that it was going to be a lot worse than a lot of people were ready for. And thought that kept sticking in my head was that in Italy, they were having to turn people away from ventilators. And I remember I was losing sleep over it. I was imagining what is it going to be like when there's people, what if there's people dying in the hallways? What if we're turning people away? We are, how are we emotionally prepared or how could we ever be prepared? In the same way health experts didn't know the actual number of cases in Michigan on March 10th or how Gary and his supervisor were unsure about Gary's health, Gary didn't know how bad the pandemic would get. Potentially, I was going to be telling people I'm sorry, your grandpa is 80 and we don't have ventilators for people who are 80, so he's going to have to go. I think that that's probably the most afraid afraid I was, was actually before the storm really hit. By March 30th, there were over a thousand cases reported in one day. But before that storm hit, Gary was in for a storm of his own. Right before returning to work, he developed a dry cough. And this time... It wasn't just the flu. By his third day back, he was feeling fatigued, so he was sent home to quarantine again. Gary says he thinks his first week back after his vacation, when he was learning all those new protocols, that's when he contracted the coronavirus. So four days of cough, 
with no other symptoms or three days. On the fourth day, I felt very tired and I had low-grade fevers. I barely got off the couch. I had a bad headache. He says the fatigue and the headache lasted about two weeks. The fatigue was one thing, but then after the fevers broke and I felt about 70% better and I thought I would feel about like myself again, I kept not getting completely better. And that was where it was different from a flu. And I've never experienced anything like that. I mean, for, for about a week and a half after my lastral fever, I did not feel like myself. I was sleeping 12 hours a day. I had headaches all the time. I would feel okay. I mean, I wouldn't feel short of breath. I wouldn't be coughing. Um, but if I, if I thought about doing any kind of exercise or thought about doing anything, my head would pound. And I kept thinking, I should go back to work. I should go back to work. But then the thought of wearing you know, an N95 face mask for nine hours at a time, taking one break in the middle of the day to take it off and take a drink of water while making critical decisions, that sounded horrible. And I, I wasn't going to go back to work until I felt completely better. Gary went back to work just after case numbers peaked, and it seemed like Michigan was beginning to flatten the curve. That's when he started to appreciate the innovation taking place and work became educational. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding COVID-19. But in just over a month's time, experts began to develop new and improved methods to address the disease. And that is exactly what science is about. Watching a disease show up, sharing information with colleagues all across the globe, and seeing very smart people, much smarter than me, who know how to do research and to look into data and changing, well, let's try this drug. Well, actually, these trials aren't great on this drug. Well, let's do this. Well, let's do that. We're seeing a lot of success with this. We're seeing a lot of success with that. Has been really cool to watch happen in, in real time. And it's been really cool to see the scientific process and see so many creative minds get together and figure out solutions to problems and to share their own anecdotal experiences which in the beginning, until you get data, anecdotal experiences are as valuable as anything. But it's really crazy to see these things and not know. As a medical student or as a young doctor, you think, I am learning from years of research and literature, and this is the tome of medicine, and now I'm going to go and practice it. But in reality, the beautiful thing about science and medicine is just like any other science. It's always growing and always changing, and that's why you always stay up to date on guidelines. But to see new medicine be written on a week-to-week -week basis is absolutely fascinating. We Lived It is reported and produced by Darcy Moran, Tad Davis, and me, Carrie Jr. II. Project materials are supplied by the Michigan History Center, with special thanks to Mark Harvey. Our executive producers are Marianne Struman and Anjanette Delgado, and our editor is Peter Batia. Everybody has their own story to share about the COVID-19 pandemic. Submit yours by leaving a three-minute telling at 313-288-0370. That's 313-288-0370. And check out Freed.com to learn more.